Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing? Doing well. What are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I am drinking a Bronx. It ah. is my uh, probably my least favorite of the Boro drinks uh, that I know of. I think, I, well, I only know of the Bronx, the Brooklyn, and the Manhattan. Mm. Maybe there's a Queens or a Staten Island. I, I don't know. It has orange, right? Yeah, this one's like orange and gin and a couple of different vermouths. It's all right. How about you? What are you drinking? I have a Hendrix Gin Gimlet. It's very refreshing. It's a little warm here in the house, so it's quite nice. Nice drink for summertime in the valley. Yeah, for sure. So uh, this week, Tesla came out with their quarterly earnings for Q2 of 2016 in the past few days. And so I thought uh, it happens four times a year. So it's a good, <laughs> good enough as any reason for making that the topic of this week's episode. Sure. So we have a few things. So there's the financial results. There's the shareholder letter uh, that Tesla releases. And then they also do a conference call with Elon, their CFO, uh, Mr. Wheeler, and then also uh, J.B. Straubel, who's their CTO. And then also their head of investor relations are on the call. And so we have some tidbits from that. So there's sort of three components to go through. Um, and Tesla does this every three months. All right, let's jump in. So you've listened to all of them. Yeah, I've listened to all of them. What was your big takeaway? Well, uh, my big takeaway on the call was that there weren't too many muskisms uh, as there traditionally are. <laughs> uh, the general tone seemed quite upbeat, if not uh, too exaggerated. Um, a lot of the a lot of the previous calls, they've had to explain away a lot of challenges, and this call was pretty much like we've got our we got our stuff together essentially. And we're getting ready for Model 3. Um, but if I back up just a minute for the top line results, just to sort of anchor where Tesla's at financially at this point. So yeah, what, is the, what are the money numbers? Yeah, like? so the money, the money is as such. They had $1.3 billion in revenue. Um, and I'm going to give just gap numbers because I don't like the funky non-gap. Um, so gap is a generally accepted accounting principles number. So it's more comparable. So 1.3 billion in three months in revenue. So sales of the vehicles uh, as well as service. And then they had a loss uh, at the very bottom, bottom line loss of just under $300 million. So they did lose money, um, but to break it down and understand what happened in there, because a lot of people and a lot of headlines you'll see are saying Tesla is burning cash and losing tons of money. And it's true, they are losing money, uh, they are not profitable. But the big thing to think about, and, and we're very familiar with this being in Silicon Valley, is the difference between uh, unit economics and investment in the future and investing in growth versus uh, not investing in growth and just extracting uh, profit. So Tesla is still very much in the growth mode and like a startup, still investing more money than they are bringing in in gross profit. So gross profit is the uh, amount of money you make after you pay for the expenses of the direct costs of the car. So they are making money on each car on like a cost basis. So the steel, the aluminum, the motors, the batteries, they make 20% margin on that. So they're actually generating about $275 million in gross profit from the sale of their vehicles. 
So that's good. Do we know how, how that compares to the rest of the auto, like car makers? Like 20% seems pretty high. Is that? Yeah, they're, they're in the high range. Like one of the best in class is uh, Porsche in the 30s. And then most are in the 15 to 20% range. Um, so, so they're doing really well. And, and some automakers are in the 10% range, like really large, like Toyotas and folks who are, you know, making really lower cost machine, uh, cars. They're making it up in volume. Literally. And so the, the higher end cars tend to have higher margin. So 21% is healthy and, and it's been continually improving. So they're, they're doing well there. Um, so that's all good. And then they're, uh, what they did though, is they invested almost more than all that money. Uh, they invested 300 million in capital expenditures to increase production and accelerate gigafactory. So CapEx, you can think of as things like buying robots, building the new factory, uh, putting in new equipment, buying all sorts of things that are going to go into making the cars. And when you pay that $300 million, it doesn't start returning and generating revenue for you the moment you spend it. You actually have to wait for it to be used. So a new paint factory and all these things. So the goal there is that that money will be invested to then produce. Uh, in this case, they're talking about starting to invest in the Model 3 production line. So Tesla makes the 50 or so thousand cars a year, hopefully 80,000 this year. And they have a certain amount of equipment to do that. It has some extra capacity already, but they need to spend more money to expand the factory. They need to build the gigafactory. That money, a lot of it is coming from Tesla. And so that money is being spent today to fuel the production for future cars, which then will allow them to reap that revenue in the future. And so that's why you have to really dissect and think through if you want to think about investing in Tesla or understanding their business, that they're not at a steady state yet. You know, uh, uh, Chevy and, um, you know, GM, uh, Toyota, others are not in increasing their production at such a, a massive rate. Uh, and so they have a lot of fixed assets that are continually pumping out new cars and so that is being amortized over you know decades of that useful life of the factory and tesla is just now buying brand new things that will last for decades and so that's one of the really big things here and so that 300 million those these are like one-time costs these are not recurring problems on their on their balance sheet this is an investment they're making that's gonna that they're they're taking the hit now and it's gonna pay off later yeah. And, and then the other things that are more recurring that were increased were they're adding lots of new stores. Um, so they're hiring people for that, which are ongoing costs. They're taking on new leases for those things. Yeah. They were saying that they're, they're planning on doing a new store every four days throughout yeah. the rest of quarter three and quarter four. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So a lot more Tesla showrooms opening up. And that is right now they, re they even admitted and sort of recognize that those stores aren't as efficient as they could be because they're only selling super luxury cars. But when the Model 3 is available, those stores will be much more productive, which is basically the business word for they will sell more stuff um, because the Model 3 will be appealing to a lot more people. So if you go into the stores today, uh, you might be just looking at Tesla, but if you go into the stores when the Model 3 is available, they'll actually be able to sell those a lot better. Um, and so they're sort of making that investment of getting the, the space and getting their teams trained up in advance of the Model 3 being available. So that's a cost they're paying today, and it's not as efficient as, as it could be. Um, and then the other big one is R&D. 
So all the salaries of the engineers who are working on all the cars, as well as a lot of the costs that go into buying uh, the material. So, you know, those, the uh, early prototypes can cost millions of dollars um, right. because those parts are bought in such small quantities and they're building them with a lot of human effort. And so the, they are, they're hiring more engineers, they're growing their staff. And they also have to pay for a lot of these uh, initial part runs, which might be pretty small, but expensive. And so the R&D spending has also increased uh, in preparation for Model 3 going into tooling and production. And so are these parts that they're getting from third party manufacturers or parts that they have to make themselves and have to tool up for it? Both. So they have to buy a lot of the tools and dies and other equipment that now is going to be used for Model 3. So some of that will show up in CapEx. And then some of that will show up in the R&D if it's um, more sort of uh, one-time sort of variable cost things like buying, you know, new seats and trying them out and not liking them and having to buy others. Um, right. So in the end, uh, Tesla did raise more money by selling more stock. So they ended up with $3.25 billion in cash at the end of the quarter. So they have plenty of cash on their balance sheet. Um, since they didn't, you know, they had, they only burned a, f- a couple hundred million in the past quarter. So they're not at any risk right now of going, you know, under or anything, even though they're not <laughs> profitable. And I think a lot of the headlines would make it seem as if they're going to die instantly, but they have a lot of runway left and they could go and get more cash if they need to. So I think overall, pretty good financially. Um, and the stock was pretty much flat or down a teeny bit, but not not very much. So, from Wall Street's point of view, the numbers were okay. Yeah. So there were there weren't any real surprises from the investor class. No, only, and and only on the upside that they were actually more efficient. They they spent less on capital expenditure than people were expecting, and a lot of that is their their old policy was sort of we'll buy we'll get new buildings around the factory to grow really fast. And their new religion around building the machine that builds the machine is sort of spatial and volumetric density as well. And so they're doing a lot to think about how can we use the space we already have and fit more machines in or add new levels or just spend more engineering resources on efficiency in our physical footprint. So we spend less money on really expensive things like real estate and building new buildings and take some engineering resources and apply it to it um, instead of paying cash, which they are more constrained on than talent at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. There's, there's really not that much room to expand around their factory in Fremont, at least. Yeah, certainly, certainly uh, pretty expensive real estate and, and ever increasing. Um, and then, then in terms of vehicles, so those are the high level financials. Obviously, what Tesla does is make cars and sell them. Oh, before we leave the financials, yeah. I was a little bit curious about how the all the Model 3 reservations, how those appear on their balance sheet and how they frame that since it is completely refundable. So I'm, I'm, I was kind of curious, uh, did you notice like how that all of those reservations appear on their balance sheet and how they presented it in the earnings call? Yeah, they didn't reveal the exact number, but um, it looks like there's... Um, certainly tens of millions and potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in cash that have come in and they're treating that as part of their inf- so there's cash coming into the business so that gets recognized on the cash flow statements um and then it has to be treated as a liability uh because there is the potential for people to request their deposit back or reservation money back so right it's 100 percent refundable so it seems right. like that's entirely a liability 
Yeah, so they can do stuff with it, and they're talking about using some of that money to invest in as cash. Um, I think the uh, so it does show up on their balance sheet. It does increase their cash position. It's not totally separate. Oh, this is back to Elon's PayPal experience, right? He's got some cash holdings and you can just make interest off it for a little while. Yeah, there's float and, and it also helps increase just and bolster. So if they want to if they want to get some debt, which then they want to spend, which they do use some debt and asset backed uh, loans, ABLs. Um, so they have billions of dollars in equipment value. And so they can get loans based on that. Um, and so having other cash in the business also just helps make sure that, you know, if something went crazy, they could actually pay it off. So it reduces their interest rate on those loans. So we're getting kind of technical in the financial stuff, but well, it was an earnings call. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is a financial, uh, financial call. And also, um, I think that the really frustrating thing is that, uh, for me having actually like dug into these numbers and, you know, paying attention to them is that you see, a loss of a company, you know, you see a, a um, not profitable. And to most people, that means failing because businesses that aren't profitable tend to go out of business in most cases. Right. But then there are certain cases like a Tesla, you know, like certain startups that are lo- like Facebook lost a lot of money up until the point when it started making billions. And that crossover point may happen at a very, very high cost and expense ratio. But then a few percentage points change from losing money to making money can be hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars in profit. And so I think what you have to realize is that Tesla is not going to be a, a, a niche automaker. They want to be a very big automaker. And yet they're only producing niche, small batch cars right now. But they have all these assets, they're building a team and investing as if they were a big producing hundreds of thousands of cars. And so we can't see the fruits of that and how efficient they'll be and how much profits they'll make until they're actually producing those cars. And so the risk is that they don't actually sell that many cars. I think that's been reduced because there's clearly so many reservations. So the big risk now is can they actually produce that many cars to sell them and not have tons and tons of service costs or recalls or anything like that. So that's really the risk people should be worrying about, less their current, uh, you know, unprofitability, because they are, they, they're showing a path to it. If you take out the investment in Model 3 and capital expenditure, they would be profitable by hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just that wouldn't be very interesting because they couldn't invest to make the Model 3 and future vehicles. Right. They're still a growth stage company. Yes. And that's just a little bit unusual for a lot of people, especially as a public company. Uh, Traditionally, companies didn't really go public unless they were already profitable. And yet uh, the software world has really pushed the boundaries on what's possible there. And Elon Musk's background in technology companies also makes him a lot more comfortable in that state. Plus, all of the comparable automakers are many, many decades old, already running at full sort of force already made these previous investments that Tesla is now making. And so when you compare them to a traditional automaker, uh, it's very easy to choose to view them as unsuccessful. Yeah. And I I mean, I think it just ties into the average public's understanding of financial matters as being more like a household budget. And you see this in politics too, but the government and growing companies don't actually operate like a household budget because you know, you're investing on future growth and you have a lot more leverage and it just doesn't, 
it's it the books don't have to balance at the end of every quarter because yeah, exactly. they're going to be like much different in one or two quarters yeah exactly it's it, it would be as it, the, the best way to think about it in the in that sort of scenario would be that you may take out loans to go to college because it will increase your future potential earnings right most people don't um hopefully in the u.s choose to not go to college just because it's expensive you do go to college because you expect it will help you earn more in the future and then eventually you'll be able to pay off those loans. Now, obviously, uh, education is a, is a tough subject right now because of how much student debt there is and whether or not that's true or not. But traditionally, that was the goal and the thought process. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's definitely the, the risk is that when your balance gets to zero or you are not making enough money, you go into debt and there's a really big problems. With companies, uh, you if there's still promise of, of having a bigger company in the future, you go out and sell more of your stock, raise cash, and then you use that future cash to go hit some milestones. And in this case, it's ramp up for Model 3. So, yeah, good point. And I guess you usually see this in, in the opposite uh, thing, like especially when you see Apple earnings calls where... It's not necessarily how awesome the company is doing right now, but it's the the investors and the stock prices reacting to what they anticipate the future is going to be. So even though Apple might have some sort of record quarter again for profits, you might see their stock price go down after earnings call and you're scratching your head. But I guess ultimately it's because investors are saying they can't keep this up or they don't anticipate this will keep happening. Yeah, exactly. And because the value of the stock is really just the sum of all the future profits um, rolled up and discounted for time. And so if you're a company that's only making 50,000 cars a year, your total potential profits in the future is is maybe X. But if you're a car company that's making half, you know, half a million cars, you might have potential profits of 10x that. And so which would be more interesting to you as an investor? A car company that's profitable now that makes 50,000 cars or a car company that in a few years will make half a million cars a year at 50x and will take a few more billion dollars to get there. And, and that's just the equation that growth companies take. And they get into trouble when they actually don't have the potential to keep growing, but they're investing as if they do. <laughs> And then the reverse, which you see with someone like Apple now, is they have so much cash being generated, they don't even know how to invest it efficiently. And so then they start giving it back to shareholders directly. And they say, you know, instead of investing in the company to figure out how to grow the business and create more profits, we're going to give it back to you, the investor, to then reassign to other companies. So it's just a an ebb and flow of growth companies and then eventually value companies, which generate lots of profits. But don't actually grow very much like railroads and utilities and food companies and things like that. Okay. So moving off of money, um, getting into like production numbers and and other things that you mentioned uh, or that you heard on the call, what, uh, what else stuck out? Two really important things. So Tesla um, has to report how many cars they delivered, which means they made it to a customer and all the paperwork was correct. And then they also report how many cars they produced. And there can be a pretty significant difference there based on how many cars are on trains and on ships in transit to uh, customers. So um, when, you, when you say they have to do it, what compels them to do it? Sorry. So the first number is the only one they have to, uh, how many were actually delivered, which is those cars that they can recognize for revenue purposes. Okay. And I think just from a materiality point of view that like, the core thing that Tesla makes is cars. And so they're obligated to report how many of those things they 
have sold. Okay, so um, they're because it's their thing. For financial, the, yeah. The investors demand that that's going to be out there. Like, there's not a law that says, like, car companies have to report how many cars they've sold. I don't think so, but all car companies do report that every month, which is interesting. So Tesla also does that for to comp- sort of sort of just generally do that. I don't know if it's a law. So we can't rule out the fact that there might be some obscure 1920s law that says yeah. that you have to report this. There yeah. could be because they report this like very closely after the quarter closes. And so that's how we get these sort of whisper numbers on how Tesla did a few weeks in advance because they release that number. And then we have to wait a few weeks until their financials are ready for them to have their conference call. So anyways, they, they delivered 14,402 new vehicles in the quarter. And interestingly, about, well, 9,700 of those were S's and 4,500 of those-ish were Model X. So starting to creep up to um, getting closer to 50-50, not 50-50 yet. But if you remember, like two quarters ago, they had like 200 X's delivered. Is that like a steady state number or are they just trying to get rid of the backlog of X's? So it looks like that will be the steady state number and the backlog is pretty much done. Most of the new cars that are being produced are for new, uh, new orders for Model X. Hmm, interesting. And the interesting thing is that they, um, the production actually ramped up really fast. Um, they, they ended the court, they actually like produced 18,000. So there's like three, well, what is that? Four or 5,000 cars in transit. So, so that means that that basically means that they ramped up really quickly towards the end of the quarter. Otherwise those cars would have been delivered in the quarter because it would, should be like a steady number in and out. Yeah, they must've, cause they, they're, they're claiming that they're going to do 2,200 a week throughout the rest of quarter three. And mm-hmm. if they did 14,000 in Q2, that's only in 12 weeks. Yeah. That's yeah, and that's only like about a thousand or eleven hundred a week. So they're they're saying they're going to produce twice as many per week in Q three. Yeah, and what they said to to back that claim up is that they exited the quarter producing two thousand vehicles per week. Wow! Um, and so over half of the production was done in the last month um, for the for the quarter. And what what caused that was they basically allocated a certain amount of production to to Model X, and they were in. Uh, to quote Elon, they were in um, production hell for the past few months and they finally figured it out with Model X and they feel comfortable now that Model X is sort of resolved and he's not sleeping at the end of the factory line anymore. Oh, good God. So are they coming off the same line or do they have multiple lines going now? They have multiple lines, but it, it still does take up the same paint shop and stamping and things and also final assembly. So yeah, because if you break down 2,200 a week, which is their claimed number for the rest of Q3, that comes out to about 314 cars per day rolling out of that factory in Fremont. Yeah, and they we now know that they do have 24-hour shifts. And also they reported that the, uh, the amount of time per car, uh, production hours per car also declined throughout the quarter for both cars. So they're getting better at producing each of the vehicles, even the Model S, and spending less time, which means they can you know, make more cars in a set number of hours. So that all sounds good. So the initial concerns that folks had and Tesla reported around Model X being very slow to make and very difficult to make, they seem to be on track with that. And it wasn't a big focus of the call or the letter. Um, so it sounds like, and certainly anecdotally, seeing a lot more Model Xs around, Model X will pretty much be in demand and supply sort of um, balance this quarter, this upcoming Q3. 
and uh, and so it doesn't seem like that's a big concern for them anymore. And they can they can make Model Xs um, reasonably quickly. Um, so yeah, that that's sort of good for Tesla and people who want to buy Model Xs. Um, you don't have to worry about them being. <laughs> they are coming. They are coming. Yeah. So what else? Uh, what else struck you in the in the call or the letter? So in the letter, a few things. The, the, a really big one was um, they. You know, Elon had tweeted that the Model Three was done uh, design phase, uh, but they gave a little bit more information about that. So they said we've completed the design phase of Model Three. And the Model 3 has been released for tooling, production planning, and validation, which is a very specific phrase in the auto industry for uh, the car has moved on from the design phase, and now the production teams are getting their hands on it to make it. Is that um, an internal designation, or does that mean like crash testing, or like how? what does that mean? It's an internal thing. So basically, uh, they now have sort of the release candidate for the car, uh, and now they are starting to get all the suppliers fully ready to go on all the specs for the car. They're starting to create the molds for all the plastics and all the metal that needs to be stamped. Starting to get the production line set up, starting to get all the tooling and everything ready so that they can take the car that they now have a final design for. They know all the parts that are going to be in it. And now they build the, uh, the process to manufacture that car. Um, and this is the phase that, um, is what Elon was talking about when he meant pencils down design. <laughs> and so now fun, basically everything that's going to be a part of the model three from its technology to whatever that new inside interior is going to look like will have been decided and done. And so we could see the model three part to unveil <laughs> is it a part two or a part two? <laughs> we'll, we'll find out any any time from now until it launches because fundamentally the car is now finished and obviously there'll be tiny little tweaks but any hopes of sweeping changes uh they they would not be wise to do any of those changes now and so that means they have about a year so if it has a micro trunk now it's going to have a micro trunk on delivery yes that is that is what this would in, in indicate um and um, the also that this is going to be the first car where they're going to really try and apply the idea of this machine that makes the machine, which Elon has been talking about a lot and was talked about in the letter. This is the this is when they will start implementing that concept because now they get to design the uh, the process with which the Model Three will be manufactured. Obviously, they've been thinking about it, but now that actually starts happening. The factory in Fremont starts getting equipment that is going to make the Model Three. Uh, put in place and the teams that are going to be designing that and, and running it are starting to get trained. And so that a year from now, when they start production, all that will be ready. So they basically have a year from now until their self-imposed deadline of July 1 to really be able to be producing in volume. So July 1 of next year, of 17. 2017, yeah. So okay. that, that's that's when all the everyone who's working on the Model 3 program is being told to sort of you know, release date. Um, but, uh, they will not make that date because there's thousands of producers and Elon talked about this on the call. And the funny thing about car manufacturing is that the, uh, everything is, is slowed down by your slowest, slowest partner. So if one partner of one type of screw is not able to produce that screw for you, then you can't ship the car. But so basically you have to tell everyone that you need to ship it by July 1 
Everyone has to act as if that's when it will happen, and inevitably one or two people will fail, and they will then have to be fixed, but everyone else still needs to be ready, otherwise you'd never be able to herd all those thousands of parts to <laughs> be ready to be installed and make the car. So it's a really, you know, kind of nebulous quantum thing. Uh, and it's very difficult for people to understand. How much do they do internally and how much of it is contracted out to um, third party suppliers? And has that like reduced from the S to the three? Do you know? They have, I don't know the exact percentage. Um, they certainly do work with outside providers. I mean, Bosch is one of their big providers and one of the top tier providers for most car companies. And they're doing the radar and some of the, uh, a lot of the um, actuators and things in the car. But I think they make the seats now. Um, they do all the metal forming for the car, the chassis, obviously the battery packs with Panasonic. Um, and so they've been, tr but they've been saying publicly that they're doing more and more vertical integration and creating and having the capacity to do many of more of the manufacturing themselves even if it's just as a backup and as a bargaining chip in, in negotiating these contracts. Um, but they certainly do rely on lots of suppliers. And, and Elon even said on the, on the call that uh, this weekend uh, he went and visited with some suppliers who were their most troublesome on the Model S program, and that if suppliers don't uh, meet their demands, they will be cut. Um, <laughs> so he's basically using the conference call as a way to... Uh, publicly shame and also uh, incite fear into the, the uh, Model Model 3 suppliers that if they don't meet that deadline, they will be cut. I imagine him walking around the boardroom with a bat in his hand like Joe Pesci. Yeah, a big baseball bat, yeah. <laughs> Do I amuse you? So did they mention anything about um, all the Solar City stuff in the, in the call? Uh, very little because they had just recently held another conference call since they had announced the definitive agreement was reached with Solar City to be acquired. Okay. And so they had a conference called specifically for that. So they sort of punted on questions about Solar City. And so the uh, analysts who follow Tesla, who are on the phone call and get to ask questions, did not ask questions about Solar City. Um, but it, it sounds like Tesla is uh, moving forward as if that that is going to go through and already doing engineering work as if it's going to happen uh, in preparation. And And some of the questions were around sort of inverters uh, which is basically you know <laughs> exciting yeah like and, and elon basically said like people don't care about inverters but you know if you're asking me about them we're gonna have the best inverter we have the best inverter team very trumpian <laughs> um so it was uh basically they're they're uh, acting as if um that will happen so it, it seems the market likely. seems to have not reacted in a negative way towards that no it and it, it does sound like some of their big investors are on board um so it, it looks more and more likely that it will it will happen, um, and within the next couple months, the it would be approved. It needs to be approved by both boards of directors, and uh, and then also. So it's, sorry, it's already been approved by their board of directors, and now it needs to be approved by the major shareholders of both companies. And then once that's done, they will uh, be able to merge and uh, take over operations of uh, solar city as part of tesla um, but the engineering teams are already working on the future products as if that's happened so they must have a lot of confidence to spend that energy yeah cool do do you know uh, you mentioned like major investors do we know are there any like specifically like major investment blocks that own huge parts of either of the companies uh fidelity uh one of the largest mutual fund company mutual fund companies owns quite a large percentage i think they're the next largest outside investor 
and they've come out and supported it. So I think they're sort of the the bellwether for for those folks. And, and then after that, I'm not sure who the big folks are, but Fidelity is definitely one of the largest. Cool. Nice. Boston, represent. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so a couple other things from the call that I found really intriguing. Um, so Elon, ta- one of the questions was like, what are the top priorities at Tesla? You, you're talking about doing buses and semi trucks and solar city. Like, are you worried about being spread too thin? What are you really worrying about? And he, and what's up with all these forward looking statements you've been making? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so he said, basically, look, all these things we're doing, many of them don't take that much energy from us and don't take very much cost because that's one of the other concerns investors have is you're trying to do all these things and raise the ambition of the company. How much is this going to cost us, you know, as investors? And why aren't you just focused on making more cars and making more money and getting profitable? And so he was basically saying, look, you know, designing the Tesla semi truck and bus, that's just that's just design work. That's not very expensive. That the real costs of Tesla, as you all know, are is actually making the cars and tooling up for them. And so he said the main focus and priority number one is is model three. Priority number two is full autonomy. Um, So those are the two top priorities, model three and then full autonomy are top two priorities. So I thought that was sort of intriguing that full autonomy was priority number two. I, I didn't know that was priority number two. Um, I wasn't sure where that was. I didn't know if that was just sort of an ongoing thread and not necessarily a priority or if it was just if model Y was going to be priority two. So um, that was intriguing. And then the other thing connected to that was someone asked him about the hurdles to full autonomy. And he said, full autonomy is really a software limitation. The hardware exists to create full autonomy. So really it's about advanced narrow AI for the car to operate on. Increasingly sophisticated neural nets and a reasonably sized computers in the cars are what's next. I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. It blows me away. And if I'm this close to it and I'm blown away, it will really blow away people when they see it for the first time. <laughs> So this could be uh, spin, it, it, but I, I am inclined to believe he feels that way. And he mentioned multiple times, at least twice on the call, that he's blown away by what he's seeing with uh, the uh, full autonomy that, that they're working on and that he you know, is driving around in these test vehicles or simulations. So I thought that was really exciting. And I don't think he would be teasing that heavily about it unless it was it reaffirms and maybe it's just my my wishful thinking that it will be part of model three or the um yeah the model three will be the capability hardware wise for full autonomy and starting to show off some of what the software will enable much more soon uh than people expect so not years away but at least showing something a lot faster um so that was kind of cool more autopilot episodes coming soon yes definitely more autopilot hopefully uh test drive autopilot episodes which would be cool um it is interesting how when you talk about hardware and software, though, that you could just argue that if the hardware is not up to snuff, then you just need more advanced software for it. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a clear delineation as to where like adequate hardware exists, like because I think like software can compensate for it. So it's it, it's a weird distinction to necessarily throw out there. Yeah, I think maybe from his point of view, it would be that from the the car that needs to get shipped to customers, we could do what we need. Right. And then we'll be able to solve it in post after the fact. Because <laughs> from Tesla's point of view, oh, and, and the other really interesting thing on the call, sorry, was um, 
Someone asked about, uh, you know, do you, do you think you'll be uh, supply constrained on vehicles at some point? And he said, as soon as we have a self-driving car, we won't be able to produce enough of them. Like we will be the only self-driving car that people will buy and that will change the demand curve so drastically that uh, there, there just won't be enough self-driving cars out there for people uh, that want them. So it's, there's going to be an inflection point. He coming. very much believes that as soon as there's a self-driving car, that will be the only car people want and Tesla will be the first to have it. And it's going to really just change the dynamic. And he seems he's just seemed extremely confident about that point. And I, I, I tend to think that that's true, that if you were in a price point of a car, uh, if you could have a self-driving version of it, that you would want that. Like, it does. Yeah, it's like, do you want to buy a car or do you want to buy a car that comes with a driver? Yeah, I mean, it exactly. seems like an obvious question. It's such a huge difference in like the difference between having CarPlay or like another cup holder seems so insignificant right. in that in that discussion that I, fine Corinthian leather. It's not the same sort of decision. Yeah, it's just a step function difference in uh, comparability and, and product functionality that um I think that's why they're spending so much time pushing this is that the first automaker that has it will will be able to reap so much in terms of, of orders and demand, which then will be able to further their advantage, their network effects of having more cars collecting more data. Assuming um, they can actually produce, all, assuming they can meet the demand. Yeah. And, th- and that's obviously why they're spending so much money on their factory and, and you know, not caring about being profitable right now. So... So they just need advanced intelligent robots building the vehicles that will then have advanced intelligence in them to drive people around. Well, that was the other thing I was going to mention is that he said someone was asking uh, one of the automotive analysts and not the tech analysts was asking, look, uh, yes, a lot of car companies have robots, but a lot of the labor is actually spent with humans on things that robots haven't been good at of uh, installing seats and doing checking like seals and really fine grained fine precision work in final assembly of vehicles. And that's where you see a lot of the people on the line moving at like two miles an hour kind of with the car when they're putting in dashboards or stuff. And Tesla has done this as well. They have a lot of people at the final assembly right. part. And he was asking, are you guys also trying to make that automated? Because that's really where the majority of the human efforts being spent in any car company right now. So he was really trying to get to the point we were asking last week of is Tesla just uh, benchmarking against their own inefficiencies in trying to improve the factory or are they benchmarking against all automakers in their claims to be five to 10 X better. And Elon uh, said, no, we're trying to automate all of it. And basically said that he won't stop until the factory is like an alien dreadnought. (laughs) <laughs> um, Please explain. Yeah, so an alien dreadnought is based on the idea of a dreadnought, which is a, a, a big, big battleship, um, a big steel battleship uh, that is extremely complex and cannot be understood or operated by one person and has a lot of automation and sort of, uh, you know, gunnery like a, and its stuff. own huge organism. Yeah, it's just this huge thing. Um, and those were boats. And then alien dreadnoughts were used in sci-fi as sort like the of Galactica. Like, yeah, the Galactica or uh, some of the big spaceships in Star Wars or anything like that. Um, super, super class like alien ships that when you look at them, you have no idea how they function and, and there's so much happening. Um, that essentially, uh, he said the machine will be ultimately so complex that no humans will be expected to operate it directly or to participate in the actual building of each Model 3. Uh, and so... You, 
what he really said was ultimately like you really can't have people in the production line itself otherwise you'll ultimately drop to people speed um and so <laughs> you know basically that he said you know we're not going to fire everyone we're still going to have a lot of people who are going to be maintaining the machine monitoring it making sure that it's operating correctly uh, fixing when there's anomalous uh issues but there won't be human hands involved in the actual production. And he, uh, again, referenced uh, silicon production and canning operations in the food world where, uh, you know, in most food factories, there's, there's plenty of people there, but they're not actually operating a lot of the equipment. It's all automated. Uh, and that also in uh, chip manufacturing, obviously there's lots of people em- employed in those chip fabs, but they're not actually touching the wafers and moving them from step to step. That's completely automated. Right. And And the number of people is decreasing as the sophistication of the automation increases. Yeah. Certainly you don't need the same absolute number of people as you would in a model model T factory in, you know, the 1920s, um, per car goes down. Um, but he was quick to point out they're not going to fire everyone. It's just, they may not need to hire as many new people in new factories because there'll be people monitoring it similar to like a data center in data centers don't have that many employees but there's still people monitoring what's going on and maintaining the building security and all those sorts of things but basically to to iterate like and mention on the call uh, publicly that their intention is that there'll be no human hands involved sort of like willy willy wonka style no human hands <laughs> touch uh, model three in its production uh by sort of its its full ramp in 2020. I mean, that's a big shift. I mean, yeah. there have been cars made for 50 years and there's still been people involved for the past 50 years, uh, you know, f- since like modern car manufacturing has been happening with robots. I mean, the economic impact of a manufacturing facility that doesn't require very many humans to build the vehicles and once the vehicles can drive themselves and let's say it starts building delivery vehicles and all the delivery drivers are out of jobs the yeah the the economic impact of that and the societal impact is going to be quite profound yeah and and certainly that um especially if the tesla model works uh there will be many many people trying to copy it uh, and all the other car manufacturers will be a disadvantage because if if many of these cars are going electric and tesla can produce them at a much lower cost than others um, similar to the way Intel was able to produce microchips at a much lower cost at a better performance than many other people, you just become a dominant player. And and that's what they're obviously betting on is how do you become a dominant automaker uh, is, is through having a car and product that no one else can offer with full autonomy, having a production system that no one else can match in terms of cost per vehicle, uh, which is sort of this massive investment in automation through having really great engineers and uh, and just sort of talented people focused on improving that. Um, and, and that'll be super interesting to see. So I think that's really the big thing from this call was, again, the Model 3 is driving a ton of innovation in the production system and sort of how they think about what the future car is going to be. And, and it's it's becoming more and more clear that Model 3 is is not just like the next car from Tesla um, in the vein of the Model S or Model X, that this is fundamentally going to be very, very, very important to the, to the company, much more than just it's cheaper. So the Model 3 is really going to be more important than the S or the X. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think certainly the S and X are what's paying for all of that. And, and Elon continued to reiterate that those are the... Uh, generating the fuel that allows them to build the model three uh 
right. but it'll certainly be much more important from from pretty much every angle from manufacturing capabilities to the technology inside of it to the uh the just the impact on on the world that the model 3 will be much much bigger and not just like a mini version of model s that you would might expect like so 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 basically like the chevy bolt uh is an electric version of a car that is sort of a little bit of a hatchback a little bit of a compact sedan and that i do not believe will be as transformational to gm as the model 3 will be transformational to tesla even though they are essentially the same priced vehicle uh both electric so well i guess it depends on how gm is treating it internally like if they're doing the same sort of thing of like using that to build a whole new method of doing things then you know maybe it is transformative yeah there's certainly been no indication to date that it is uh as uh impactful to gm's business considering it is going to be a fractional percentage of their sales and their it's maybe on the autonomy side of things but um let's save that for another episode we can talk about the bolt and volt uh, and, and <laughs> yeah Chevy. we do have that queued up for another for an episode all right so we've gone pretty long here do you want to do you have any final thoughts on this or do you want to wrap this up no i think that's it i think we covered uh, most of it and so if anyone has any future uh any, any comments after listening um you can tweet at us at the Tesla show on Twitter. You can leave a comment on the Tesla show.com. We have a post for every episode. And then also we are on Reddit, um, R slash the Tesla show, and you can share your thoughts with us there. So, um, with that, I think we're all set. All right, then see you next week. All right. Talk to you later, Mike.